Excellent. Well, all right, well, again, it's so glad to have you all here. Uh, I'm John, one of the pastors here, and we're uh, grateful that you all chose to come and to worship with us today. So if you would, pray with me, and we'll um, dive right into God's Word. Uh, Father, you truly are a great God, um, and you are real, Father. So many of us tend to say that with um, our mouths, we say it with our words, we say it to friends and to co-workers and to our kids, but we don't tend to live like it. We don't really believe that you're real. And Father, if we would just believe that you were real and you were the type of God that you said that you were, that you were a God that was eager to have us as part of your family. You're a God that welcomes us. If we really believed that that was true, we would find out that we have no reason and all to despair, and we would live with so much hope, with so much courage, with so much boldness, Father. And so our prayer today is that you would convince us through your word, that you would remind us that your word is what does all of the work, Father. So please be with us here right now, Father. Lord, we ask um, that you would be with the many that are a part of our church that can't be here due to sickness. We ask that you would continue to heal Alfreda, Father. Make her whole, make her well, Lord. We know that you can. Father, we pray for Pastor Richard that you would continue to heal um, his leg. Grateful that he's here as well and gets a chance to encourage and be encouraged by your people. Such a gift that we tend to take for granted, Father. Pray for Pastor Tripp as he's gone now for the first leg of his tour and he'll be gone. I pray that you would sustain him and his family as they're here. Father, I pray that you would sustain us as a church. It's been a blessing to have him the, as much as we have and I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted but that you would place it on our hearts to find ways to encourage him, Father. And we just Pray once again that you would speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so it's the last week of 2015, right? So uh, for some of y'all, this has been the best year of your life. For some of y'all, it's been the worst year of um, your life. And so for me, it's been one of those worst years of my life, right? There's sometimes, well, often, always, God speaks to us through his word. There's sometimes that God speaks to us, not through his word, but through just things that we see. And this took place last week for me. Um, we leave from church. We go to Five Guys. My wife drops me off and goes and runs errands. I get all of our food, and I'm sitting there right at the front. And what takes place is I look out of the window waiting for her to come and get me. I see this dog run by. Well, this dog had on a collar and a leash, and the leash was tied to a metal chair, and the dog was dragging this chair, and his owner is chasing after this dog, and as the rest of the store looks out and laughs at this lady, I cry on the inside because I feel like the chair and her, I feel like that I started off this year thinking that I was strong enough to anchor life. I thought that I could just 
hold it and that I had all of the strength, but I felt like the chair. I felt like, man, life has just kind of pulled me and drugged me. And then at the same time, I felt like a middle-aged white woman, well, that middle-aged white woman, as she's running and chasing her dog because I feel like this is me. I thought that I was smart enough to anchor life to something that could hold it down, and I found out that I couldn't. And what you find out is that when your problems are stronger than your anchor, you find, this, you find yourself in this place called despair. You find yourself just frustrated with life. You find out that you come to the end of 2015, and it's been a hard year. But what makes it so hard is that you can't just look and say, man, I can't wait until 2016. Because what takes place is this, 2015, the hardest year of my life. And one thing that I know to be true is there is no guarantee that 2016 won't come and take the crown. With each day that we live, with each new year that we come into, one thing that we can be assured of is that there's problems and there's struggles and there's things that will come that will expose our weaknesses, that will expose that we are not strong enough to anchor life, nor are we smart enough to tie life to the right anchors. You and I feel and experience this sense of weakness. And the thing about weakness is that it can paralyze us. So one thing that I know about all of us here is this. You are aware of weaknesses that exist in your life. And a keen awareness of the weaknesses that we have can quickly turn into a soul awareness to where all that we look at, all that we think of life as, is we look and interpret life in the future through the lens of our weakness. And life becomes defined by our weaknesses, by our hurts and by our pain. If you've lost anyone, you know that that journey is just life becomes that loss. If you've been injured or you find yourself really sick, life becomes that sickness. And here is what despair is. Despair is this. Describing the future through the lens of your weakness. You're driven to despair when as you look at the future, you only think of it through the lens of what you can't do. That's what it is, but here's what it does. Despair convinces us that forfeit is better than failure. It convinces us we may not as well try. We should just give up because it's hard and I can't do it. Think of all of the things that God has called you to do that you feel like, I just can't do. I just can't share the gospel with that person. I just can't be faithful here. Think of all of the resolutions that you know that you need to make this week that you're going to say, I'm not even going to try because I know I'm not going to go to the gym. I know I'm not going to eat right. I know that I'm going to fall prey to these same things. Despair is when we look at the future through the lens of our weakness. And what it does is it convinces us that forfeit is better than failure. 
And it makes it really hard. Just sit and think now. As we've gone through this whole year and we're getting ready to go into a, a new year, what things in your life right now are less than ideal that you've just come to grips with? This is just what life's going to be like. I'm just going to accept this habit. I'm just going to accept this addiction, this relationship, this proclivity. I'm just going to accept it and sit there. This is just my lot in life. Has it driven you to despair? And if it has, I want you to know that that's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not just about taking a bunch of poor people that are sad and heartbroken and making them okay with the things that break their heart. Christianity is about a God that sees us in our mess, that sees us in our despair and loves and cares for us so much that he doesn't want us to stay there. So here's the good news as we spent these last three weeks and talked not just about what it means to know God, but what knowing God means. Here's the good news. Knowing God means you don't have to know despair. Knowing God means that you don't have to know despair. It's not your destiny. It's not your future. It's not what's in the cards. There's heartache, there's pain, there's things that'll come. But the beauty about what God tells us is that if we know God, if we know that we really do have a God that is alive and well and powerful, we don't have to know despair. So I do want to ask you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Probably one of the first times that you've ever been in church and heard a sermon from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Uh, I want to set a bit of context here because what we're going to see here is we're going to see people that are just like us. Folks that have been told to do something by God. Folks that are driven to despair because they look at the future, they look at what God tells them to do through the lens of their weakness or their strength or what they can and can't do. We're going to see the consequences of what takes place when despair takes root, but then we are going to see a way forward. Knowing God means that you and I don't have to know despair. Context is this. There was a nation, Israel. They were enslaved. God, by himself, set them free. Not only did God set them free, but God freed them from someplace and was getting ready to give them this land, this very, very good land that was flowing with milk and honey and all of this stuff. And so what God does is he takes this nation and God says, this is the land that I'm going to give you. Before they go in, God sends 12 spies. So it takes 12 minutes and said, hey, I want you to go and scout out this land so that you can come back and tell the rest of the folks how good it is. Right? God often calls us to walk by faith, but I do want you to know that the God that we serve, he does at times encourage us by sight and by the things that we see. Numbers chapter 13, verse 20 um, says this, and so look, just this small thing, and you'll miss it if you don't look closely. 13, 20. 
Uh, God sends them to go and spy out the land. And whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Look, now, whenever you see that word now in your Bible, highlight it because what's going to go next is important. And it says this now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So here's what God does. Sends these 12 men in to go and spy out this land so that the people are convinced that the land is good. And God strategically sends them at the point in time where the first ripe grapes are there. So it's this thing. So as they go in, they're going to see this and say, this land is all that, it sa- is, is all that God said that it would be. I want you to know That as God calls us to obey him, there is no such thing as coincidences. Sometimes you and I can be so scared of uh, teetering towards this works-based, God's going to give me stuff in exchange for how faithful I am, type faith, that we can miss out on the ways that God really wants to encourage us. Yeah, I had a good friend of mine. I talked to him on the phone, and he felt like, man, uh, I really got to a point where I felt impressed. God told me that I really needed to invest, right? There was somebody that I had on my heart, and I really felt like I should have uh, helped meet this need. But I got my check, and it really wasn't as big as I hoped that it would be, but I made it up in my mind. All right, I feel like God's telling me to do this, I'm going to go and give. And so he says, on the way out of work this last day, his boss comes up to him and gives him a $100 bill just because. And he stepped back and what he said was, man, God is faithful. God is great. I made it up in my mind to obey him. And look, God really took care of me. Some of us are are too sophisticated in our faith that we would say, well, that's not God. That was just a coincidence. No, it was. It encouraged this man, not towards greed, but to further obey God. God calls us to walk by faith, but he encourages us by the things that we see. If something is a coincidence, nobody gets thanks for for that. But if something is the providence of God, then God gets thanks. There's so many little breadcrumbs that God leaves us to encourage us when we would be driven to despair. Don't be so quick to write those things off. And so that's what God does. God tells them to go here into this land. And what takes place is 12 guys go. And what they say is this. It's all that God said that it would be. But... There are giants in the land. They're strong. We're weak. And so what took place is 10 guys said this, and there were two guys that said, wait, 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 wait. We are weak. They are strong. But we have God on our side. But these 10 guys came, and what they did is they convinced what many folks believe at the time was two and a half million people that were not atheists by any stretch of the means. They knew God. They saw God. And they convinced 
two and a half million people not to go where God had called them to go. And we get to yeah, Numbers chapter 14, verse 36, which is going to be our text for the day. And it says this, and the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up, listen, a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report about the land died by a plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Nice and encouraging text to hear on the last week of the year. So what takes place is, I want to spend the bulk of our time on this. The most surprising thing was not that ten men doubted God. In a nation of two and a half million people, of course you're going to have folks that doubt God. The most surprising thing is that ten men were able to convince Two million people that had seen God at work, that they shouldn't go where God told them to go. How? How were they able to do this? I think that they were because despair comes natural to us all. Despair is describing the future through the lens of our weakness. And what took place is that when we're preoccupied with our weakness, despair makes us, or it leads us, into living as if God doesn't exist. The problem with despair is not that we see what's wrong with the world. The problem with despair is that we see what's wrong with the world, but we don't see how big and great our God is. Practically, here's what it looks like. Um, We're going to give two examples. One I planned on, two is just going to be me sharing. One is this, I had a friend a few years ago and he reached out to me and what he said was, man, my aunt is on her deathbed, stage four cancer. I know that she's not going to last long. I don't know if she knows the Lord, and I feel like I really need to share, but I'm scared. I don't think I have all of the right words. I don't want her to reject me. And so what took place was he spent the next week strategizing about the best way to sit and to share with her and to overcome the obstacle of his weakness. And then a week later, I get a text that said, I just found out that my aunt passed. And I didn't share. And I, I have no clue where she is right now. God says through his word, the way that God saves people and brings him to himself is through his word. God says that when we share his word, he goes to work. God says and promises that he'll be active. But as soon as we disregard the promises of God because of our despair, it's easy for us to justify disobedience because all we look at is what's wrong. The next one is one and just 
Um, so, I mean, as, as many of y'all know, this year has been just a very, very rough year for me and my family. Um, uh, through the loss of my brother about seven, seven, seven months ago, it's just been weird. Uh, my brother was the glue that held our family together. So he's the one that would kind of call and check in and do all of this stuff. And what you find out uh, is that when the person that is the glue, like, is gone, like, it's not like soul food, right, where somebody else kind of steps in and uh, uh, folks are, yeah, happy, being jolly. It's, it's hard. And so what takes place is somebody that spent the past 10 years of his life as a pastor, knowing all of the right words to say and all of the things to say to help folks in these hard times. Now when my family calls me, I don't know what to say. So, I mean, a strip was up here last week and gave us an injunction and said, hey, y'all want to be sure that you make the most of your time with your family Immediately, I was driven to despair because all that I thought of was all of the words that I didn't have. And, and so it makes it hard, right? You know, still at a place where every time that I get a call from my mom or from my dad, my stomach drops in me because I'm just scared that it's going to be more bad news. And so on Christmas Day, my wife and I drive into hang out with my sister and her new baby, and it's just, um, she can clearly tell that I'm not right, and she just asks me what's wrong, and I'm like, I really don't want to go. That I know that it's a good thing to speak God's word. I know that God's placed us in one another's life to encourage people. But a keen awareness of my weakness and my inability to have all the right words becomes all I focus on, and it's just so hard. And so what takes place is you've got men like these, and it comes up and it says, they spread a bad report of the land. So you would expect them to come back and to say, no, 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 this land's not all of what God says that it is. Listen to the words that they use, though, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31, it says this. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land, listen, that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the uh, Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Here's all that it takes to spread a, a bad report. Here's all that they did. They gave an accurate assessment of the problems that they faced. But they were silent about the God that they served. All that it takes to spread a bad re, 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 report is not to lie, it's to tell the truth. But it's only a half-truth. J.I. Packer says this, that a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth 
is a complete untruth. And of course, if you live in the world that they lived in, if you live in the world that we live in, if you live in the neighborhood that we live in, what, what is there to hope in? If you watch the news, what is there to hope in? Do you know all they do on the news is they give an accurate report of what's going on in our world. And they say nothing about the ability of a God to change it. And that's why it's so depressing. That's why it's so depressing to hear about blocks from here. A young boy murdered the day after Christmas. Then we're just left to say, what do we do? How can you not be driven to despair when every anchor that you had, that things will get better, doesn't hold that dog from dragging that chair? It's such a convincing line of thought because at the end of the day, it's so true. And you and I know our weakness is better than anybody else. You and I know that we don't have the strength to change things. So where does our hope come from? I think it comes from the fact that as Christians, as those that know God and as those that trust Him, we know that our weakness is not the determiner of our destiny. We know that we don't look at the future through the lens of our weakness. But hope comes in this. Describing the future through the lens of God's greatness. And if we look at the future through those lenses, then the despair that we have lifts and we're turned into these divine optimists. Weakness in and of itself is not a curse. It's common. We all have it. All that weakness does is it forces us to make a decision about how important our strength is. If you look at the future and you think a brighter future and a brighter hope is dependent on your strength, you're eventually going to be driven to despair. Maybe not now. Maybe you have life in control now. Maybe things are good now. Maybe you can go days at a time without reading your Bible or praying or actively trusting in the Lord because things are good and you feel like that your faith is strong. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not just that your faith is strong. It's just that life's good. That you, you may just have a good job and a good family and money, and safety, and security. But let all of those things go, and you'll find just how quick despair comes in and settles in. We all at some point are going to be brought face to face with our weakness, and it's at that point we have the choice. We have to choose how important is this in determining my destiny and my fate. At the last verse here in this text, verse 38, it says this. Of those men who went out to spy the land, 
Only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Japune remained alive. Here's the beautiful thing about those two guys. Those two guys were the only ones that looked at the future and interpreted it through the lens of God's greatness. Those two guys know something that I desperately want all of us to know, and it's this. Your weakness is not the determiner of your destiny. God is. And in this story, what takes place is people that were driven to despair and convinced that forfeit was better than failure, that they may not as well try in order to keep themselves safe. God showed clear as day he was the determiner of their fate. And these men that trusted in the Lord, God showed them the same thing. And the beautiful thing about how the rest of this story plays out is that the discipline that God gives to this nation that was driven to despair and failed to trust them, do you know what it was? that they would have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And we would look back and say, well, that's a death sentence. How can we grow food and raise crops? You can't. But do you know what God did for 40 years? He fed them. He kept them a lot. Their discipline was not a punishment. It was teaching them that they are going to have to trust God daily. Their sustenance doesn't come about by their hard work. It comes about by God's faithfulness. And what I want you to see is this. Listen, justice, punishment for sin, is death. Justice for sin is hell. Anything short of those things, regardless of how harsh it may seem, is a picture of God's kindness. God's grace is not seen in just removing our weaknesses from us. God's grace is seen in sustaining us while weakness remains in its present. And for 40 years, this group of people learned what it was to trust God. I love Charles Spurgeon. What, what he says is this. I am sure that anything that makes us often come back to the Lord must be a blessing to us. Anything. Battling depression. Right? Feeling like, right? it's been so strange feeling like your whole life that you've been an optimist. Your whole life that your goal, your job, what made you you was that you walked into a place and you, you cheered folks up. Now to find yourself in a place where you're depressed and you walk into rooms and you bring the mood down, kind of like I'm doing right now, right? You just bring it down. It's just, it's, it's weird and it's hard. But it reminds me how often I need to come to the Lord. And if he's the determiner of my fate, then regardless of if this cloud ever lifts, 
It's a blessing. A broken leg, a torn Achilles, cancer, hard times, a hard marriage, hard friendships. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. It reminds us that we interpret the future, not through the lens of our weakness, but through the lens of God's greatness. And here's the beauty of what takes place. Jesus gives us the greatest example of this. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and in Mark 1, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days with no bread or water. And he faces the same temptation that they did. And do you know what he does? He trusts in God. He interprets the future not through the lens of his weakness, but through the lens of God's greatness. And he passes the test that all of us failed. But he, Jesus doesn't just do it to present this pathway so that now he can come to us and say, look, I did it, now you should go and do, do the same thing. But he lives this perfect life. But Jesus' fate isn't commensurate. I couldn't think of a better word. It wasn't equal with the person that lived the life that he lived. Jesus met the fate of these ten spies. He died by the plan of God for people like these ten spies who in spite of all of, God, of what God has done constantly find a way to be driven to despair. Jesus died for people like you, for people like me, so that our acceptance in God's sight isn't based on how well we perform or how well we trust Him, but so that anybody that can say, I failed to trust God like I should. I've been driven to despair even though I know I've had no reason to. I've justified this obeying God. Anybody that says that doesn't have to meet that fate. They don't have to pay for it by their own life because Jesus did. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because now, because of what Christ has done, as we look to the future, though there's hard things on our pathway, for those of us that have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, there is only a happy ending. And if we're sure that there is a happy ending, it helps us to endure much heartache in the here and now. We know that we have an anchor that can't be moved. We know we have an anchor that can't be pulled away. Our hope is not based on how well we perform. I wish that somebody in here who has felt the struggle of not being assured because you look at your performance and you see that it's subpar would experience the freedom and the hope that's here. This is the beauty of what God has done. If despair comes when we look at the future through the lens of our weakness, hope comes when we look at the future through the lens of God's greatness. And how do we do that? Because you and I are so prone to despair. And, and I just want to give you one charge, and it's this. Talk about God's works 
whenever you think of life's woes. Talk about God's works when you think of life's woes. The problem is this. Truth leaks. It doesn't just stay there. Whatever reservoir of truth or of confidence that we have in God, it leaks. It constantly needs to be refilled. We're constantly inundated with the woes of life. And I'm just saying, talk about God's works when you hear or when you think of life's woes. One good thing is this. Go home today and Psalms 106, right? Read it. And this is like, don't just take this as a passing statement that a preacher says. If you don't write anything down today, write that down. Go home and read Psalms 106. And what you're going to find is it's just a psalm reminding folks of God's greatness. And then it tells about how when people forget how great God is, they're driven to despair and sin. But when they're reminded, that lifts. Remind yourselves of God's works when you think of life's woes. When you hear of it, when you sit and talk to, 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 to folks, make it your aim to remind them of the great God that we serve. Some... An objection that I constantly get is folks say, well, I just want somebody to be real. And when prop up problems and stuff comes, folks uh, immediately throw out all of these good things of what God has done. And I just feel like they're not real. Of course they're real, but they're responding to problems as people who actually believe that there is a real God that exists and is on our side. If you really believed that then you would talk about God's works as often as you think of life's woes. If you're here and you're convinced and you're doing well, make it your aim to find people that are not doing so well and talk and remind them. The reason why we constantly need to be reminded is that it's so easy for us to drift. It's so easy for us to make a keen awareness of our weakness, a soul awareness, and think of the future and life just through the lens of what we can't do. But as Christians and as people of God, I want you to know God has called us to something better. And if that's the case, if that really takes place and it really uh, takes root in our lives, we'll be a community that's not governed by fear, and paralyzed from doing great things. But we would move out in courage and in boldness and people that find themselves driven to despair with their heads low would leave from our houses and our church and from phone calls and from texts with their spirits uplifted because we constantly make it our aim to remind folks of God's works when we think of life's woes. I want to close with one text. Hebrews chapter 3. It'll be up here on the screen. You, won't, you, you, you don't have to look through that. And it says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Our confidence is not our strength, it's his strength. If you know God, you don't have to know despair. And your aim is to make sure every day you're repeating that same message, not just to yourself, but to somebody else. Think of how different life would be. Men here, all right, I'm just going to talk to the men here that have families or friends or you know somebody that's in hard time. Think of how different both your life and their life would be if this week you made this charge the first thing that you do when you step out of bed. If the very first thought that you had each morning was, today is a day that somebody that I know and I'm responsible for will be driven to despair because they're going to be consumed with their weaknesses and their inability to bring about the future that, that they want. And I have an opportunity to set them on the right path. If that was the first thing that you thought about each day this week, how different would life be? How different would your home life be? How different would the relationships that you have be? And it doesn't take much. It takes faith that that's actually true and consistency to do it each day. And we'll be amazed at what God does as a community that's filled with hope where we interpret the future, not through the lens of our weakness, but through the lens of God's greatness. Pray with me. Father, um, we ask that your word would continue to do the work that your word does. Help us not to be driven to despair. Help us not to forget you, God. It's so easy to forget you. There's so many, it's uh, so easy for um, our trust in you to sway and for us to be consumed by fear. But remind us, Father, that you are an anchor, you're a rock that can't be moved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.